And welcome to Reim Ahuvim. This is Rabbi Yitz Greenfield, MS Marriage and Family Therapy. I'm so happy you are joining me today. J-Root Radio. There was problems, they say, technologically. Okay, but guess what? Everybody can hear me now. Baruch Hashem. For those of you who are new listeners, what we do is we try to learn and to develop new skills and tools to renew and strengthen the connection you have with your spouse. We do this not only from a social science perspective, but we use the Torah as our guide and source of navigation. This is a live show. Live show, June 2nd. June 2nd. You might be hearing this on Monday night, so it's not live for you. But in any case, so happy you're joining me today. You know, I want to tell you something. A couple of things. First of all, Today's an exciting show, Amir Tzashem. Um, I know usually we speak about marriage and shalom bias in this show. However, today what we're going to do is we're actually going to refocus. We are going to shift over a little bit. You know, like I would say, the, the engine in your home is your shalom bias. You know it's true. You know it's true. The engine in your house, the engine, make sure that everything is really working. Like without an engine, you don't have a car, right? You can have a transmission, Without a transmission, you can't move, right? So one second, what's more important, the transmission or the engine? Well, we know the engine is the most important, right? Why? Because that's what makes things going in the first place. Even though we know that we have to focus on the transmission, sometimes then we can't move. So today I would say, like, you know what I would say? I'll tell you what I would say. I would say the shell of bias in your house is like the engine in your house. It really is. And if the engine is well-oiled and everything is going well with the engine, then there's hope. It's a baseline. There's hope. There's hope for the rest of the system because what your your house, by the way, is a system. That's what it is. It's it's a system. You know what's interesting is that it used to be that psychology used to all focus on individuality, right? Sigmund Freud. It was all based on individuality, the id, the ego, the superego, sense of self, self-esteem, all about the self. And then what happened that is that psychology sort of shifted and said, you know what? It's not just the individual. There's a system. And the indiv- every individual is part of a system or a subsystem. And his or her personality, character, etc. is based also, not just on his individuality, but on the system. And sometimes, there are actually some psychologists who say it's really almost due to the systems. And therefore, there are systems theories, there are individual theories. And um, if you go to, you know, different psychologists, different therapists, what they do is they focus on different pieces, either different pieces of the system. Some of them only focus on the system and some of them only focus on individuality. It's a big mistake, by the way. The reason I say this is because I really feel that the right approach in therapy and counseling in whichever way you're helping people has to be an integrated approach. It really does. It has to be integrated. You cannot just have a systems theory. You can't just have an individual's theory. But when you're working with a system, which is a marriage, a marriage is a system, you have to really focus on the system, not on the individual. If you feel there's an individual issue, the individual issue has to be dealt with. I'm not saying not. But the start, the initiation is a system. The system is the marriage. That's the system. And that, I would say that's the engine. And then... You move on to what? From there, you move on to the individual. The individual is as important, but it's the second step, the individual. And then we have, of course, the rest of the system, not just the marriage, but the children. 
anybody else who's living in the house. Some of you might have par- some of you might have your parents living in your house. Some of you might have you might have grandparents living in the house. That's all part of the system, and we have to treat it. We have to treat it. We have to target it in the correct way. So of course it starts with your shalom bias. No question about it. No question about it. It all your what goes on in your house. The the whole the whole uh, let's say you know they say in Hebrew the whole matzav ruach in your house is all based on your marriage. No question about. It. If your children are seeing a good marriage, your children are seeing happy, uh, a happy parents who are loving, connected, not fighting, and just happy with each other. Even though they're stressed. By the way, I, I just want uh, I want to stress this piece. I'm happy you're listening today. You can have stress in your house. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have stress in your house. Everybody has stress in their house. But you know what? How are you handling the stress? Are you displacing the stress? And you're, are you blaming your husband or your wife? Are you blaming your children? Is that what you're doing? Because you're stressed out because you had a hard day, because you had some extra bills you don't know how you're going to pay, or you just got a bill from the yeshiva tuition, you don't know how you're going to pay the tuition, or you don't know how you're going to do the gas or electric or whatever it is. So what are you doing with that stress? Are you displacing it? Are you displacing the stress and it's going to your husband? to your wife, to your children, well then, oh, that's a problem. Or what are your children seeing? Are you seeing children seeing that you have stress and you're giving yourself a little time out? Instead of getting upset, you realize that you have your hats on, you're hungry, angry, tired of stress, and you eat it. You, what happens is your husband and wife work together to, you know what, first let's eat, let's drink, let's relax, then let's deal with the stress. Let's empathize with each other. Let's reassure each other. Is that what's happening? Stress is not... Stress is a test. Stress is a test. But it's important, it's important to know. Okay, now, so what, what we're doing today is like this. What we're doing today is really, I would say, a segue to what I've, I've actually seen. This is really, there's an article out there. You know, I don't know when you're listening to this because these, these shows are, these shows are, are, are recorded. You can hear on archive, etc. I don't know when you can hear it. <clears throat> but this particular week, there was an article I don't like to name specific magazines, though. I mean, it's a, it was a beautiful article in a popular Jewish magazine. And they were interviewing, uh, I believe it was Moshe, Rav Moshe Weinberger, and they were asking him, <coughs> excuse me, for those of you who don't know, Rav Moshe Weinberger is a very influential, and I would say an individual who has a broad, broad knowledge of uh, relationships, psychology, etc., He's put up a, he has is a very popular shul in Long Island. I think it's called Eish Kodesh. And uh, he's also interesting, even though he's, has, you know, again, you know, at the, end, at the end of the day when Mashiach comes, you know, we're all going to be dancing in a circle. And, uh, you know, they're going to be different types of Yidin. They're going to be the Hasidish, the Litvish, the Svardish, the modern Orthodox. But this particular individual, Mashiach Weinberger, has integrated himself on all spectrums, meaning he's, he is a Hasidish, but uh, I believe he was a Mashkiach in, uh, in Rav Yitzchak Al-Khan and Yeshiva, which is a modern Orthodox Yeshiva. So he's, he's really integrated himself. Very, you know, people were telling me about this article in this magazine. And what the focus of the article was is interviewing him and asking him and asking him for guidance generally when it comes to children who are, and listen to this term, because it's like the latest term out there. It's crazy that these terms exist, but it is what it is. OTD, not OCD. It's OCD, right? It's the clinical clinical term, right? Which is uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, but it's not what it says. OTD. 
off the derech, or kids at risk. Okay, and and this is the article. And I, 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 the reason I want to talk about this today is not necessarily you have children who are like this, and not necessarily you have kids who who who, who are, are, are holding there or children at risk. But it's something that I could say any parent who's listening to me today. If you're a parent and you're listening to me today, or if you're planning to be a parent one day, it's something that's on your heart. I know it's something that you're always thinking about and something that you're concerned about, especially when it's so prevalent today. And it's something that, you're, that you would like to prevent and give your child and guide your child to a way where what we all want, right? What is what we all want, I'm assuming, right? And that is, I would say, Ruba the Ruba of my audience is that we want our children to raise our children to be what? To be an Ovdei HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Ovid Hashem, right? Boy or girl. To connect to Hashem, an Ovid Hashem to connect to Hashem in whichever way it is, right? In whichever way it is we want. What do you say? Oh, your son should be a big Talmud Chacham. Your brother should be a big Not all sons are, 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 uh, are going to be Talmud Chachamin. Not all sons are going to be sitting in Kolel. Not all sons are going to be Rasha Yeshiva. And that's okay. That's okay because they can be a really good Yid, good Jew, observant Yid, connected to Hashem. They could be working and they, you know what? They can also be connected to Hashem in their work. Sometimes someone could be connected to Hashem in his work. He has more challenges in his work than sitting in Kolel. So not every child is meant for it. But what? We all wanted we wanted to stay within the framework of Yiddishkeit. And unfortunately, some kids are, uh, are, are in this OTD or, 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 or at risk of that. And how do we prevent it? What do we do as parents? What, what can we do as parents to guide, to help, to, to do what we can? So I want to start today's class with the following thing. Before I talk about all the skills and tools and research and evidence and all that, I want to say one thing. And for, actually, the first thing I want to say is there's no way we're going to cover this topic in one sitting. Um, this might have to break up into, into another class. Or maybe we'll do it in, you know, in a different type of, uh, you know, diff- different, maybe, a, maybe a workshop, a, cl- a live class, something like that. We'll see. But the first thing I want to say here is like this, is that I don't want anybody who's listening to the show right now to think that we have control. And I'm going to repeat, we do not have control of our children's fate. We do not have control on what's going to happen to our children. HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives us these neshamos. And he, he gives us these neshamos to take care of. And I, you know, I have, Baruch Hashem we have, we have, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, Hodil Hashem we have such a beautiful audience, beautiful audience, I get beautiful feedback. And I know that the age of this audience really varies from young in their 20s to the older in their, you know, to, 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 I say 20s. I even have even teenagers listen to this. And that's a good thing. Other apps a good thing. To, to, to what? To older people, 70s, 80s. And those of you who are older know that there's a time where our children, who we love so much, we care for much, we moister nefesh from, they leave our house and they're gone. They're not there anymore. First they go to yeshiva. The boys go to yeshiva. Maybe the girls stay home for a little bit longer. And then they go to seminary, the girls. And they come back. And you know, we try to get them married. And most of our children, Baruch, I say most because we have a big problem. It's a big problem. Should the crisis these days? I'm not getting there. But children leave. Not, uh, children leave, right? 
They leave. They leave. They leave the house. It's gone. What happened to my child? Well, what happened to your child is that your child is, is his or her own person. We are not in control of our children, ladies and gentlemen. They end up being their own people. These are neshamas that are given to us to guard, to watch, to do what we can, but their bechira is not in our hands. Their influences are not in our hands. And you're going to see soon, a lot of this has to do with influence, not just in the home, not just in the home, but in the rest of the system. What's the rest of the system? The school, that's the next piece of the system. The community, that's the system. The friends, next piece of the system. It's all connected. And I want to remind you something most importantly, and that is the greatest of the great in our history. The greatest of the great. Start with Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu had a child who went off. Avram Avinu, okay? Now, I'm saying at the end of his life, Baruch Hashem, he made the tshuva, he came back. Avram Avinu, we see in the Torah. Sorry, you mean, you told, told Avram Avinu, get him out of the house. It's not good for Yitzchak, right? That started with Avram Avinu. You know, he did, actually did tshuva at the end of his life. So, could you imagine? Do you, do you honestly think that you're a better parent than Avram Avinu? <laughs> like, seriously. Avram Avinu, do we have any idea who Avram Avinu is? We can't even relate to that word, Avram Avinu. Yitzchak! Yitzchak also had a child who went off. Never came back. Esav never came back. Yitzchak, can you imagine how a child who went off? Esav. The greatest of the great. Stop blaming, you know, that's the, again, we have to stop blaming ourselves many times. And then we go throughout history. If you take a look, Dovin Amelech had an Avshalom who rebelled against him. Shlomo Amelech, Shlomo Amelech had a son, Rechavam, right? Shlomo had a son, Rechavam, who, now you'd think like Shlomo Amelech, that was like the best of times in Jewish history. When we had Shlomo Amelech, we had the base Hamikdash. The, the, the Jewish people were, were literally, Shlomo Amelech ruled the whole world, right? Everything we had at that point. We had everything. And then what? He had a son. Shlomo Melch, who was the wisest person. Think about it. Shlomo the wisest person ever. Ended up having a son, a son by the name of Rechavam. And he made a very big mistake for those of you who don't know this. And that is, you know, you know what Shlomo Melch's son did? Think about it. After Shlomo Melch, what happened? What happened to the Jewish people? Well, you know what? Let me tell you what happened to the Jewish people. What happened with the Jewish people after Shlomo Melch was that Rechavam became the king. And Rechavam was not really sure what to do. He started taxing the people, giving a lot of taxes, etc. And he wasn't sure to tax them, tax them more. And they were complaining they're getting taxed too much, that he was being a little too strong with them. And he didn't know what to do. So he went to his advisors to ask his advisors what to do. So first he went to his older advisors, and the older advisors said, don't be harsh with the nation, don't be strict, don't use me, don't be overly burdening with the, with the, with the nation. If you're going to be overly burdening and tough with them, they're going to rebel. It's not going to be good. So, so what he said, he didn't know what to do. He said, he said to speak to them, speak to the nation nicely, speak to them with love, connect them with love, and, and, and don't be so strict with them. And then he, what, what Rechavam did, he went to the younger advisors, and the younger advisors said to him, No, you show the nation who's in charge. You're the king. You show them, and you be strict with them, and tax them, and be tough with them, and that's who he listened to. Who would he listen to? The younger ones. Unfortunately, a lot of people listen to the younger ones these days. They don't go to our olders, right? 
We should be going to our elders. They're the ones who've experienced it all, but he didn't. He made a very, very big mistake. He was very, very tough with the nation. And you know what happened, ladies and gentlemen? Let me tell you what happened. What happened was, is that the Jewish people rebelled. Most of the nation, most of the Jewish nation rebelled. We had 10 tribes, from the 12 tribes, 10 Shvatim left. 10 of them left and they seceded. They made their own kingdom. Under who? Yeravim ben Avat. Yeravim ben Avat was a, was a terrible, terrible king. He was a terrible king. He was a Russia. But I want to tell you something. Don't you think he started off as a Russia? No, he didn't start off as a Russia. He didn't start off as a Russia. He was tested. He was tested. So first of all, I want you to think about what, just, what I just said. And it's very interesting. Rechavam, you know, you know what was the start of the end, the start of the end with, with Rechavam, the son of, of Shlomo, I'll tell you what was the start of it. He was tough. He decided he's going to be tough. He's going to control the nation. He's going to show them what to do. He's going to show them what to do. Unfortunately, we're going to talk about it very soon, how many of us in our homes with our teenagers, that's what we're doing. Well, I'm going to show you. That's what you're going to do, and I'm going to show you what I'm going to do. And I'm going to show you who's in control. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It hasn't worked in the past. Definitely doesn't work today. Definitely doesn't work today. Next, Yeravim ben Avat. Yeravim ben Avat, he, was, he became the king of the, of, of the ten Shvat and ten tribes. He, he knew he's going to have a problem because Shalash Regalim, what's going to happen is the, the, the Jewish people used to go to the base Hamikdash. That's where they, everybody went, to the base Hamikdash. Yeravim ben Avat realized he has a little bit of a problem. Why? The problem is he's that is interesting halacha when it comes to the base Hamikdash that only someone, you know, you're in base Mishra, you're standing in the base Hamikdash. Only someone, a king who's Ben David, is allowed to sit in the base Hamikdash, but not, not someone who's not Ben David. And he knew he wouldn't be able to sit. And he was scared that he's going to lose his throne. He was scared that he's going to lose power. He was faced with a, you know, we, we can't relate to his challenge, but he made a terrible, terrible, terrible mistake. Yeravim ben Avat. You know what Yeravim ben Avat did? What he did was, he said, you know what? To the Jewish people, these are the ten tribes that he was in charge of. He said, I forget this. I have a new thing to do. I have a new thing. You know what his new thing was? Yeravim ben Avat. Let me tell you, his new thing was, instead of going to the base Hamikdash, what you're going to do is you're going to worship Avodah Zarah. And he put up two big Avodah Zarah. And he had the people where, now, me and you talking to, it's about on June 2nd, 2016, or whenever you're listening to this, it's hard for us to relate. What do you mean? You're going to bow down to a gold statue? Well, it's a tremendous, tremendous Yetzirah that we don't understand. You know, we have our own Yetzirahs that, that we don't understand, right? A lot of Yetzirahs, Taiva, Kinnah, Kavah, a lot of them don't make sense, but there was a tremendous Yetzirah. And that's what Yeravim ben did. What Yeravim ben did, he had the people basically worship Avodah Zarah. That's what he started. Why? Let me tell you why. Because he didn't want to go to the base Hamikdash. And if he had such a big problem, let's say, let's say, let's say he would do this terrible Avera of sitting down in the base Hamikdash, which was no good. It was not acceptable. But let's say that's what he would do. He would, he, instead of doing this Avera, he would do this Avera. Right? And that's what he would do. And then he would sit. Oh, and it would be terrible. But you know what? It's very, very possible that that what? That all the Avodah Zarah that the Jewish people for years, the ten tribes for years and years, there was one bad king after the other. 
And eventually the 10 tribes were lost. <laughs> Sancherev was lost, right? The 10 tribes are gone. Why? It all started with Yerav and because of Avad Zara. Why? Because he said, oh, I'm going to lose my power. Let's say he would have just gone to base mission and sat, which also would have been a bad thing. But hold it. What am I saying? Of course he shouldn't have sat. But I want to say sometimes, sometimes we have to let go with certain things. And I'm not talking about halacha. I'm not talking about halacha. I'm talking about minhagim. I'm talking about the way I grew up, the way you grew up. We didn't do this in our houses. We didn't read these types of things in our eyes. There's nothing wrong with it. Well, we don't read those things in our houses. But don't you chap? He's going to read it anyways. He's going to go to his friend. He's going to read this book. It's not a bad book. We don't read Gaisha books. We don't read Gaisha books in our houses. Of course, of course. <laughs> Who wants to bring Gaisha books in their houses? But guess what? He's in a school. He's in a class. Everybody's class is reading Harry Potter. So you're going to tell him, oh, you can't read Harry Potter because it's us, sir. It's a Gaisha book. Of course, you don't want him to. But... Hello, wake up. Smell the coffee. He's in a class. They're all reading it. So you'd rather have him read it in your house or would you rather have him reading it in somebody else's house under somebody else's jurisdiction? Mind you, usually there's no jurisdiction because the parents don't even, there, don't even know about whatever's going on over there. And then what happens is this Harry Potter leads to another book and another book and another book and has no supervision at all. And he's in rebel mode. So he's in rebel mode. That's what he wants. And you know what happens, ladies and gentlemen? Let me tell you. What happens is that he ends the day he feels like a loser. And let me tell you why. Because you think he likes the fact that you don't know what's going on? You think the fact that he's hiding things from you, he feels good about himself? No. It's his self-esteem. But he feels what? He feels tied between the, the, the class, all his class who are reading the book, and you who don't let him read the book, and then he fights himself, fights himself, fights himself, tries to do the right thing, and then he just succumbed by, overcomed by the Yetzirah. Achen vei, he read Harry Potter. Now, again, I'm not saying, we talk, I know we talk to all sorts of people over here. I, I realize that. And for some of you, you hear Harry Potter, you think Achen vei. You think Achen vei. But what's more Achen vei is what happens after he reads the Harry Potter. He could have read that book in your house under your jurisdiction, and you would have realized that there's really, you've gone through the book, nothing wrong with the book, other than the fact that it's, that it's a secular book. And now, he goes to the next step. And now he goes and he reads another book that you don't even know about because you have no idea what he's doing. And he's feeling guilty, feeling guilty, feeling guilty. And he comes home, and you know what he does? He's chutzpah to you. And he's screaming at you. And he's arguing with you. And you don't understand, where is this chutzpah coming from? Well, it's coming from same cycles, all the same thing we had throughout our history. Rechavam being over-controlling with the nation. Over-controlling. Tax the nation. We're going to be tough with the nation. We're going to do it the way. Listen to the young advisors. And then what happens? We have a Yeravim Benevat Nebuch. A Yeravim Benevat who Nebuch takes him to the next level. Next level. Avaydazar. Can you imagine? Can you imagine from Shlomo HaMelech, Shlomo HaMelech, Years later, like before you go, boo, what do you have? Avedazara. Why? Because we're going to be controlling with you. We're going to tell you what to do, and we're going to show you how to do it. Because this is the way it has to be done, because this is the way it's done in our house, and that's the way it is. And then you have a Yerav Benavat, doesn't want to sit in the base of Mikdash, there's a that, shouldn't sit in the base of Mikdash, but instead, you know, we're going to do it, we're going to have Avedazara. There, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Isn't that great? No, it's not great. You know what that is? Let me tell you what that is. Let me tell you this. That's a generation who's more interested in monkeys that they're interested in children. That's, yeah, yeah, you know what I'm, some of you don't know what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. And some of you are going to get upset at me because I don't know who listens to the show. But I will tell you something like this. I'll tell you something like this. 
The Torah says, many times the Torah speaks about, Chazal speaks about how we have to be very, very careful when it comes to Tzar Balachayim, when it comes to having any animal suffer. We have to be very, very careful not to have animals suffer. Even when we talk about shechita and whatever, the, the amount of suffering in shechita is, is minimal. The amount of suffering that the Jewish people ever done to animals, we have to be very, very careful with animals. To feed them first, to give them water first, we have a tremendous respect for Kadashparhu's creations, which are animals. <coughs> tremendous. And the more sophisticated the animal, the more we have to be careful with. But in any case, be that as it may, meaning you know, as opposed to a bug on the floor, to a dog, or to a cat, or whatever, right? So I want to start off with that intro, and anybody listening to this to know how important the Torah, um, the, the Torah's view, Chazal's view, was when it comes to animals. However, however, let's just make one thing clear. You cannot compare animals to human beings. It's two different worlds, right? Right? So on one hand, you have human beings. I can't believe I'm actually talking about this. So for me, it's like, <laughs> what do you mean? Dover Pashit, right? It's not so Pashit. It's not so Pashit. Because you can have a human being and you can have an animal. So what happens? What happens is there's a story that just happened recently. And what happened was is that there was a family that went to visit a zoo recently. I'm not even sure what happened. in Cincinnati or somewhere, wherever it was. And this, anim- this family went to visit a zoo. So they went to visit the zoo. It was a family and several, you know, I think it was just a mother and several children. And she had some kids. And she had a three-year-old child with her. She had a three-year-old child with her who she was watching, the kids, the three-year-old child. And those of you who have children know what a three-year-old is. This is not talking about a teenager. We're talking about a three-year-old. A three-year-old child. And for a second, she lost sight of the child. How many of you are listening to this and, and have experienced this where you lose sight of your child? Oh, my, oh where's my kids? Where's my child? But you have a lot of children. Where's my child? Oh, you find them. Right. Now, this particular child decided, he's a three-year-old, please. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm getting worked up. It's a wild story. Three-year-old child decides to climb over a fence. Now, mind you, it was a three-foot fence. Climbs over a three-foot fence because he wanted to go into one of the enclosures of the animals. Which animal did he want to go to see up close and personal? The gorilla. That's what he wanted to see. So he climbs over the fence, a three-foot fence, and then he walks down. He falls down this moat, okay, and he falls down into the enclosure of the gorilla. So here you have, uh, I think it was like a 500-pound gorilla. I might be making mistakes. I don't know the details, but I can tell you the story is well known, that he falls in to this thing, gorilla. Now, this gorilla is so powerful that it can just, Literally, I think I read that it could take one of these coconuts and just crush him in his hands, okay? And now the gorilla sees the child and is starting, doesn't know what to do, a little bit overwhelmed, but it's protecting the child and taking the child out of the water, trying to be with the child. And then the gorilla gets a little bit agitated. People are looking at it. The gorilla are agitated and they don't know what to do. So there's a security team in this zoo. The security team comes to seize this child, a three-year-old with a gorilla that's holding this child. Now, mind you, we're talking about something called sakanas nefashis, risk of a human life. There's a three-year-old. You get that gorilla, if that gorilla becomes agitated, boom, it's over in a matter of seconds. 
And again, no one wants to hurt a gorilla. But I think we all know, but unfortunately people don't all know this, that human life peaks and is above the gorilla, right? Human life over gorilla. Fine. Well, they did the right thing. The security team at the zoo. They saw that the gorilla was getting agitated or they were afraid that it's going to get agitated. They work with these animals. They know these animals inside out. They do it with them all the time. These are animals. So they saw that the child's life was at danger and they had no choice. And they, it was in order to protect the life of the child, they shot and killed the gorilla. At first, everybody was talking about this, how Wow, they saved this human life. They made the right decision. The gorilla could have gotten agitated. How would they have th taken the gorilla, fr the child from the gorilla? They said, they go inside and say, oh, can we please have the child back? And the gorilla could get agitated and kill the child, three-year-old. Well, guess what? Guess what happened? There was outrage, 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 outrage. Uh, what happened? Oh, boy, they killed the gorilla. It's not that that they were outraging at. You know what they were upset at? The parents! It's the parents' fault! Why didn't the parents watch these children? They could have watched this child, this three-year-old, if, if the mother would have watched, and the child wouldn't have climbed over the fence, gonna climb over the fence, and whatever. So it's an irresponsible parent. Is this the focus? And then there are those who say you shouldn't have shot the gorilla, you never know, and that, the poor gorilla. So it was outrage, complete outrage. And there was so much outrage that the police actually took this seriously and started investigating the mother. <sighs> I, I, okay, why is this frustrating me? Let me tell you why this is frustrating me. Because those parents who have children, especially those of you who have five-year-olds, three-year-olds, younger kids, you know exactly how those children, that you could lose, the second you lose those children, when you're going to a zoo, you have to be worried that your child's going to climb over a fence and end up by the gorilla? I ask you a question. Whose responsibility is it? And I'm not talking about worrying that your child's going to get lost. And I'm not talking about worrying that your child is going is to make a chalashem or your child's going to go and, and, and do bad things in the zoo. But you have to be worried that your child's going to end up in the gorilla's cage? Not even a cage, it's a gamote. That's what you have to be worried about? So I ask you, whose responsibility is it? Who should we investigate? The zoo or the parent? The zoo or the parent? What did the child do? He climbed a three-foot fence. Whoa, three-foot fence in a moat. He dropped in the thing. Again, I'm not saying it's the zoo's fault. This is not... I'm not blaming anyone over here. I'm so perturbed by the outrage that everybody has towards the mother. What did she do? She lost a three-year-old child that climbed over a three-foot fence. So we're going to blame the mother right now? Is that what happens when we're at the zoos? We really have to be worried that our child is going to end up together with the animals? Hello? Whatever happened to boundaries? Well, what happened to today's society? So you're not going to let your child read that Harry Potter book, even though everybody is looking at it again? I'm not saying it. Avadigaret. Avadigaret, I'm not saying it's best. I understand 100%. You'd rather your kids not read those guys. books. I get it. I get it. I get it. But let's not, let's not throw the baby out of the bathwater. Don't cut off your nose to spite your face. What I'm saying to you is, hello, hello, you have to know when to let go sometimes. You have to know when to let go. Same way the people in that zoo knew. 
You have to know when to let go. There's a child's life of danger right now. Let's stop worrying about everything. We have a child over here. It's being held by a gorilla. It's a true story that happened. You can look it up. And, and we're a child of the gorilla. But what are we going to worry about? We're going to worry about the child's life. And afterwards, what are we going to worry about? You're going to worry about the mother? Or are you going to worry about the fact that the zoo better get to act together? They better put a bigger fence over there because there are child children that could go, end up in, gorillas, in, in, a, in a gorilla zone. <laughs> so what are we worried about? Boy. It's all his history, all his, because we want to be in control. I'm going to be in control of my teenagers. That's what I'm going to be in control of. I want to read you something over here. I think this is the, probably the best, best work ever done on, on what they call OTD, off the, off the derech children or children at risk. It's the best, best that I, I, I've seen yet. I mean, you have been better at No problem. This is actually written by Branach um, Margolis. Miss Margolis actually spent... Spent, I can say, let's see here. She actually writes it here. She spent five years. All she did was research, interviewed, analyzed, assessed why children, anybody is going off the derech. Why, why do we have this plague in our community? Why do we have people who are going off? Why do we have children who are going off? Why, why are their kids at risk? Why is this so out of control? Why is it that in a certain community, a very firm community on Shabbos, on Shabbos, there are kids hanging out by a certain lake, kids who are off and they're smoking and they're doing things. Rahman al why is that happening in our community? She spent five years, and, and the reason I like this is so comprehensive. Yes, she actually had a more, let's call it sophisticated, sort of she, had, she had a more integrated education herself. She comes from a little more of a modern Orthodox type of, of, of Yiddishkeit. And I say Yiddishkeit because all are Yiddishkeit. That's where she comes from. And she has, she has a master's from Columbia University. It might impress you. It might not impress you. You might take Columbia, you might take Columbia, whatever it is. But she has a, a, a thorough education. But when she wrote this piece, she said, I'm not just you know, focusing on the modern Orthodox world. She said, I'm going to focus on every, every part of Yiddishkeit. And she interviewed she interviewed every person who was involved with, with off the derech kids, children at risk, from Hasidish to Litvish to Sfardish to modern Orthodox. And the interviews she has here is everywhere. First of all, it has a great, I mean, if you, it has a great, great intro from, from, from Rav Zev Lef, uh, Rosh Hashiva of uh, Yeshiva Gdala Matisio in Eretz Yisrael. And then, and then she goes through interviewing everyone, Shapiro, Norman Lamb, Rabbi Tversky, uh, Rafael Buchwald, um, John, Jonathan, Th- Jonathan Sachs, uh, Beryl, or Beryl Wine, or Shia Cohen, Debbie Greenblatt, Leah Cohen, D- Daniel Mechanic from Aish. She went through everything. Uh, Zolotinsky from Hashivenu. She counted for us. Haggadah, Torah, Masora, everything. She said, "I'm gonna everything. I'm I'm gonna research everything and everyone." And and what she writes in, in what she writes in this thing over here is like this. She writes, and I have to quote this to you because I think this is so powerful. I really. Someone gave this to me. I like yeah, the book of this. Whoa, who wrote this book? Interesting. Oh, this is, this is a modern Orthodox books. No, 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 no. I look at it. I'm like, let me look at this book. And I see no, no. She really went through the gamut, through everything, every piece of Yiddishkeit. And she writes like this after spending five years on this issue. I think this is so powerful. More often than not, and by the way, when I say this, I'm talking about dozens and hundreds of interviews, and she has actually 
uh, she had she had interviews, she had statistics, and she writes like this: more often than not, what drives people from Yiddishkeit is not intellectual in nature, but emotional. How we feel about Yiddishkeit is far more important than what we think about Yiddishkeit. Somehow, the heart moves us more easily than the mind. And for better or for worse, most people seek happiness before they seek truth. And as one Baal Tshuva family, Nebuch, who dropped Yiddishkeit after six years, simply noted, we realized we didn't like being, be, being Jewish. And from and from anymore. That like or dislike, that simple feeling, whether positive or negative, is enough to bring us closer or, pu- or push us farther away. The most prevalent cause of people going off the derech is negative feelings about Yiddishkeit. Most people have, who she met have gone off the derech and experienced Yiddishkeit negatively or painfully rather than joyfully and happily. As soon as they did not feel good about the observance or they associated it with pain, the chances of their remaining observance significantly decreased. And I want to add this. Actually, I'm not adding. I'm just reading actually over here. To understand how negative feelings impact, impact from kite, we need first to understand one key fact. Our feelings towards Yiddishkeit come primarily from the from Jews we meet and the relationship we create with them. From Jews are the conduits for Yiddishkeit, and it is through our relationships with them that our feelings and our perceptions about Yiddishkeit are created. Relationships lay at the heart of every emotional issue. Negative relationships with the practitioners of Yiddishkeit tend to create negative feelings towards Yiddishkeit that compromises Frumkeit. While positive relationships create positive feelings towards it. So that's what it is. Meaning it's all about the feeling, right? I feel good about it. I don't feel good about it. If I feel good about it, I like it. I do it. If I don't feel good about it, what's the perception? Your children, the Shabbos table, your Shabbos table, I ask you right now. What are your children seeing? Are they seeing a happy, positive, wonderful atmosphere? Or are they seeing a controlling, divisive, arguing, critical, attacking atmosphere. Now, do you understand? I just want to say something very important. Do you understand? This has nothing to do with halacha. You could be keeping halacha. I mean, actually, <laughs> I take that back. It has very much to do with halacha. I'm talking about, I, 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 you know, I'm talking about the fifth paragraph of meaning, you could be, I'm doing zmiris, I'm saying the very Torah, I'm having my kids sit. I wash, I, when I wash the Tiyasidayim, I'm washing six times, I'm washing every piece of the finger and everything, and I'm being so mocked and everything. Really? Really? You're doing that? And then you're coming to the Shabbos table, and what's the first thing you say to your wife? Instead of saying thank you, you say, how come we don't have this this Shabbos? And if your child left the table, you say, Jimmy, come back to the table. What are you leaving the table of the Shabbos table over here? Or when one child speaks and the other child, the other child decides to, uh, to interrupt him, you just let it go. Or you're just saying different Torah for half an hour and the kids are losing interest. Hello? Hello? Did you ever hear the fifth piece of Shulchan Aruch? Common sense? Kedoshim tiyu. Kedoshim tiyu. What's Kedoshim tiyu? What's Shalom Kedoshim? Kedoshim is beyond. You could keep, you could keep, as they say, the letter of the law. You keep to the letter of the law. You keep to the letter of Chazal. Tell us over and over and over again. Yerushamayim is not just keeping strict letter of the law halacha. Yerushamayim is to be Kadosh. Yerushamayim is to be holy. 
to be holy means that we're separate. To be holy means to means that we have a certain which is one of the pivotal pieces of Yiddishkeit. We have it integrated into our family. And we show our children that we validate them, that we accept them, and we love them. And we show our wives that we love them, despite the fact that she didn't put out the forks. Despite the fact that our husband came home late, Erev Shabbos. So instead of hacking him over, the, the, you know, the head over and saying, you're late and being upset, we just let it go, being mevater, being mevater. Shalom. And, and, and that's what Yiddishkeit is all about. Yiddishkeit is about being Kaddish. Being Kaddish is being Tamim. Being Tamim means connecting to a Kaddish Baruch Hu. Connecting to a Kaddish Baruch Hu being, being, means one thing. Means Kale, Rachom, Vichanon, Erech, Apayim, Rav Chesed, VMS, being Mevater. I'm being Mevater. I'm letting it go. So you didn't put the forks out. I asked you to make the barbecue chicken. You didn't make the barbecue chicken. You made the other type of chicken. Or the, the child just ran away from the table. I'm not going to be upset at him. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to deal with it later because I didn't eat yet. I have my hats on. Fine. And I'm going to let go. And I'm going to let go. And I'm going to let go more. Of course you have to keep halacha. Don't get me wrong. I'm not chas v'shalom. You know, I don't want these people. They call me after. And I'm not no, never called me. By the people, Greenfield, the halacha. Of course, 100%. 100, 100%. No question about it. Every piece of halacha should be kept. Every piece of halacha should be kept. But if you're just going to go according to Shulchan Aruch and Kitzah Shulchan Aruch and Mishnah Buru, I'm telling you, you can have those kids. I'm not chas v'shalom blaming you. I know the system's not a different. But I'm telling you right now. What's most important for your child, for him to, or her to be an Eved Hashem, because I know what you want. You want them to be an Eved Hashem, you want them to be Tamid Chacham, or even if they're not Tamid Chacham, they're going to learn Torah, they're going to be, they're going to have your Shemaim, they're going to be connected to Kaddish Baruch Hu, they're going to have a nice life. I know all the things that you want. I know that. I know that. I, I get it. I get it. I was a Chinuch for many years, many years myself. I was a Rebbe myself for many years in the morning, many, many years. All sorts of kids, all sorts of kids, the from kids and the not so from kids. And I can tell you one thing, the most important thing for these children is their emotional health. And emotional health means their self-worth, their self-esteem, their feeling of accomplishment, their feel, feeling of fulfillment, their feeling of validation, their knowing that someone loves them, that their parents love them no matter what, even if they get kicked out of yeshiva, even if they, they, they were thrown out, even if they got a C, even if they got this, they have to feel their children love them, excuse me, that their parents love them, and that their abeyim and moros love them, despite what they did, and even if they failed. Some of the rabbeim today, or the moros today, and I'm not saying all of you, chas v'shalom, we have a beautiful, 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 team of people in our community who is Meister Nefesh for Chinuch. And I don't want to knock Rabbeim or Moros Chas V'Shalom. These are, I'm telling you, Tzadikim and Tzadkaniyos. And first of all, because they're Meister Nefesh for the kids. And second of all, not only are they Meister Nefesh for the kids, a lot of them are not getting paid on time. You know exactly what I'm talking about. A lot of them are not getting paid on time. They're waiting for their checks and this and that. It, 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 and they're Meister Nefesh. They're Meister Nefesh. But all I'm saying is amongst it always happens. But amongst these Rabbeim and Amoras, it happens once in a while. And Nebuch, some of them, they have challenges. What happens? They forget this peace. The emotional health of the child is the most important. I'm the one who's sitting with these couples. There are other marriage counselors, therapists, etc., sitting with couples, individual therapy, being with people who are depressed, etc. So much of it is related to a toxic system when they grew up. Their parents, their Rabbeim, their moros didn't give them love and validation. I want to tell you, I was in a school the other day. 
I'm in the school for whatever I was in the school, and I, I, I was witnessing a, a mechanech. He was in a bad mood. He was in a very bad mood. And a child came over to him to ask, to ask him a question. He was just like standing there for a while. And then this mechanech found, he was on the phone, whatever. Someone told him something, this, that, the other thing. I don't know what happened. Akitzer, what happened was this mechanech in front of my eyes. I was watching this. The mechanech goes with this child, young child, say eight years old. And he looks at the child and goes, what are you doing over here? The child wanted to speak to him. He says, I just wanted to speak to you about something. So what are you waiting here for? You're standing here in front of me. What are you waiting? Come to me later. What are you? Complete displacement of stress on this child. I, I, was, I was like mesmerized that someone in Chinuch could do this to a child. I, I literally mesmerized. I've never seen this in Chinuch. But people do this. You understand this affects their, their self-esteem, their self-worth. You don't know what it could do to a child. You don't know what it could do to a child. It's these, it's these feelings, the emotional piece. The emotional piece she writes over here is that, listen to this, we, when asked to identify one thing that caused, that caused these OTD, I'm, I'm saying that term because I've seen it in this magazine, OTD, off the derech kids, what caused them to move away from Yiddishkeit, 44% pointed to from people. It's not everything. It's from people. From people. It's what you see is what you get. So you could tell me whatever you want, but if I don't feel loved, if I don't feel cherished, and if I don't feel validated, and you're going to stuck me out, and you're going to tell me that my whole life is based, everything, my whole essence is based on me not reading a Goyesha book, then you know what's going to happen? When I'm going to read Harry Potter, and I've seen cases like this, Harry Potter, I'm just giving examples of Harry Potter, I'm just you know, making this thing up, but I've seen similar cases, you know, Hamaven Yavin. And, and if I'm going to step over the boundary that you created, mind you, you created a certain boundary, because the Torah didn't create it, you created a certain boundary, and I'm not saying it 100%, you have a good reason for creating it, you created this boundary, so I step over that boundary, First of all, what's going to happen is I'm going to feel like a loser because at the end of the day, I wasn't able to control myself, so I actually read a Harry Potter book. And second of all, the next part is, is not only am I going to feel like a loser, I'm going to feel like a failure. And I'm going to say, you know what? If this is the way people act towards me, and then, then when the father or mother find out that the child read the Harry Potter book, or the Rebbe finds out that the child did this, that, the other thing, and there, instead of giving them a Einish, right? Because I'm not saying, okay, first of all, I'm not talking about giving an Einish for a kid who read a secular book, Harry Potter. You gotta be really careful with that. But I'm talking about somebody who stepped out of the line, you know what I'm saying? The child stepped out of the line. I don't know, he ran away from school and he went down the block and he bought himself some candy or whatever it is, or this, that, the other thing, okay? And now he comes back. So, so what? The first thing is you wanna show the child that you love the child. You think no matter what he did, you still love him. You're still machshev him because that's the piece that's going to affect his adulthood. Not the punishment. Like, hello? Not the punishment. And then sometimes you have to punish with love. I'm so sorry that I have to do this to you, but this uh, is the consequence to your action. Yes, we have to create boundaries, ladies and gentlemen. We do have to create boundaries. I'm not one of those that says that everything goes. No, 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 no. I'm not coming to tell you you can do whatever you want. Children have to know that there are boundaries. This and depending on the, ch on the age of the child, the younger the children, they the more boundaries that they are. 
When they get old, the children should be respecting the boundaries that you already set for them while they were younger. You can't impose those boundaries on them anymore. You cannot impose anything on your teenager. Go ahead, try to force him to do whatever you want him to do. You could get it to force him to do whatever you want him to do. You know you can do that. Oh, yeah. You could force him to go to diving. You could force him. This one girl is writing here. They're writing. This one girl. Her, 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 her father and her, and her teacher always to force her to go down. Go diving. Oh, I'm going to go down. She didn't dive in. I'm going to go down. She's a teenager. You don't force a teenager to dive in. Show her the love of diving. Show her the importance of diving. Tell her stories how you've diving and you feel like Hoshbohu answered you. Motivated to dive in. And she would go to the other room. She would read a book and then she'd come back. Yeah, I'm diving. I play oh, once we start playing the game, I'm playing the game. I'm not interested. I'm not interested anymore. Because it's the emotional piece that's pivotal. The emotional piece. I'm not saying there's no cognitive piece. And the other piece, that maybe we'll discuss this next week. If we have time. The other piece, of course, the other very, very important piece is to find ultimately a community that you feel comfortable living in. A lot of times we have children who are going, I'm not saying going off the derech, but they're going off a little bit different. You have Litvish family, you can have a son that's going chasidish. I don't really see it as a bad thing, but some people can feel like convey. You know, I don't get it. Becoming Hasidish or Hasidish become Litvish, or they, you know, whatever. They're still Shemir Shabbos. They're still Shemir Kashris, and they're going to marry. They're going to keep Tiresh and Mishpacha. So the basic, basic, basic things they're still going to keep. Rabbi Greenfield, I never thought my child would. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. My child. This is what I'm talking about, my child. He's Shemir Shabbos and he's Shemir Mitzvahs and he's whatever. Look at him. He's wearing jeans. He's wearing jeans. What? Are you serious? Are you serious? Because you had expectations of your child, because this is your child, this is not your child. This is an Hashem that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave you to watch. And for whatever reason it is, and I'm not saying it's your fault, there could be a million and a half reasons, plus there's Bechira. So, so you know what? Whatever reason it is, he decided to wear jeans. He's older ones, and he started to wear jeans. So what are you going to do? You're going to disown him? You're going to make him feel horrible? Or you're going to accept him? You're going to find a place for him that, you know what, the takes jeans. All right. All right, fine. And maybe not. Maybe you won't be able to learn now. Maybe you're going to have to half a day learning, half of this. But I never thought my child, my child, I never thought whatever happened to me. No way. You do this in my house. You know, I'm not saying I've set boundaries in your house. Obviously, you don't want Chas children coming in, you know, with Chas with with narcotics or, 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 or certain situations coming into the house. That I get. That I get. But validate, appreciate, love. These children are going to be chutzpahdik to you. Oh boy, these kids are going to be chutzpahdik to you. Because once they, once they already don't listen, then they, they feel guilty. They're chutzpahdik. Don't fall for the trap. Don't fall for the trap. Show them love no matter what. Show them validation no matter what. Show them empathy no matter what. No matter what. That's the most important piece. The emotional piece. Don't impose on them. Don't impose on them, ladies and gentlemen. Running out of time. Okay, I want to mention a couple of things over here before we go. Like, well, oh, first of all, questions, comments, feedback. You can always text me. There's no way. At least now, I, you could try to call me. I don't think I'll be able to pick up. 917-397-2841. 917 We started a marriage workshop. Baruch Hashem, Bechazde Hashem. It started off wonderfully. We had a first session. We had a live teleconference. We had a problem with the teleconference. I have some people who still want to join. I know you're calling me, you're texting me. I didn't get back to you. Blina, I'll try to get back to you today or tomorrow. If you want to join the marriage workshop, just go to TorahMarriage.com. You can still make it. You can still make it. I'm actually adding a session for those who missed the first session because the recording did not work. 
Fine. So I'm going to add a session to make up that. So for those of you who are interested in the marriage workshop, six sessions, go to TorahMarriage.com. You can text me if you don't have email or internet. Baruch Hashem, it's a wonderful thing. 917-397-2841. 917-397-2841. For any of your feedback, thank you for listening today. Have an amazing and wonderful week. Thank you very much, Kaltov.